<laughs> so <laughs> well, to be fair, I was eating a bunch of tortillas. All right. Before. Well, we have finer audio here. Why don't we kick off the show? And do uh, why don't we say, hey, thank you. Thank you, James Hinchcliffe, for taking some time to join us here on the Weekend Indy Car, presented by the amazing folks at Cooper Tires. Road to Indy, every single one of those young bucks, you were once one of those young bucks. You're still sure kind was. of a young buck. Uh, well. Cooper Tires, make them go forward, make them turn, make them stop. It's excellent stuff. The Justice Brothers, amazing automotive chemicals and lubricants. TorontoMotorsports.com. There's a wacky Canuck by the name of Derek Koska, who you and I are both fond of. Very fond. And we'll say big thanks to those who send in the questions. We love it when we have you on. Rumors that you might have a podcast uh, of your own with some guy who's on a perennial revenge tour and <laughs> uh, some sort of convict work release program producer. So... Um, you know, uh, let's just do our, our usual. Uh, we got to credit, I think, Katie Katie Kyle for that line, too. The Alex Rossi Perennial Revenge Tour. How that's not that already a T-shirt. brilliant. He can that win the championship brilliant. and be pissed. Like, he's the only he'll guy. Find, he'll find something to be upset at. Yeah. No, you know the what? Astro the only Cup. other guy. We know we've we've had this conversation, I'm pretty sure. The only other guy that ranks up there is Bourdain because he used to win, you know, 83 indie car races champ car races a year and, and and i guess it was just boring for him at that point so <laughs> instead of being happy about the win he would like pick out the lapped car that on lap 28 held him up for 1.3 seconds so he should have won by you know 28.3 seconds rather than just the 27 seconds he won by and like that's what he would focus on before i do the victory lane interview let me go find speedy Dan Clark and punch him in the nose. I'll be right back, <laughs> says Bourdais. Uh, although we loved ourselves some speedy Dan Clark. Well, we're hold on weird little full circle thing here. So I'm sitting in my office and I just to not sit in my desk because we didn't do this over zoom mercifully. And so I'm just sitting in the chair on the other side of my desk and, and my desk has a very cool background when I'm zooming. It's got my wall of like helmets and stuff that I've collected over the years. And so now I'm sitting actually staring at them rather than staring at my computer. And I can't help but notice the similarities between Jimmy Johnson's and Sebastian Bourdais when you stare at them head on. The yellow blue thing, blue visor. They're very, Ooh. I'm going to send you a picture later. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of Bourdais. Speaking of Bourdais, who's, yeah, in the midst of, of building a house. And doing picking interior motifs and whatnot, maybe he and Jimmy Johnson should collaborate. So there you go. Yeah, I don't know what fourteen plus forty eight is, but whatever that number is, uh, we need to get them <laughs> together, and they'll figure it out. Well, we have some fun stuff. We have a little bit of serious stuff, but as usual, why don't we dive right in? I don't know. This is a topic you've probably not had presented to you at any point this year, ever. There's some folks who are curious to know if and what the future might hold for their favorite mayor of Hinchtown. So why don't we start there? Uh, Mike Lloyd, who admits, oh, well, he admits to being uh, both from Canada, brave admission, and a longtime listener and first-time caller. I was just going to... They're police in the background, by the way. Um, well, that's, Cal yeah, that's California for you. Very, very true. Before I get into his question, though, I have yes. to uh, acknowledge his Twitter handle, which just caught my eye, is at slave 
888-555-5555. So there feels, Mike, like there's a story. We're burying the league. Yeah, Hinch's future, you might have to get back to us on how you came up with your Twitter handle and if there's <laughs> some darkness behind it because it kind of feels like it. Uh, nonetheless, Hinch, Mike asks what, frankly, many, many folks did. Any thoughts on uh, what your future might hold in 2022, uh, whether it's driving Indy cars or talking about Indy cars, or might we see this, uh, this Indy car journey of yours continue behind the steering wheel? Uh, many thoughts, many thoughts, no firm decisions, uh, unfortunately is about all I can, all I can reveal at the time. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things, you know, going on in the background, a lot of conversations being had with a lot of different people in a lot of different areas. And, you know, ultimately in, in a way, I guess there are a lot of different options, uh, for me and for my future. And it's really going to come down to what makes the most sense for me at this point and, um, and then kind of, kind of pursuing that. Uh, so I don't know when, I don't know what kind of timeline I could claim to be on to be able to reveal something, but, um, but no, I think, uh, I think there's some, there's some fun stuff in the works for sure. There's some exciting stuff and some stuff that I'm looking forward to. So hopefully there's, some kind of resolution soon and, and I can let you all know what's happening. Kevin Perez, Frederico and Daniel Boric as well ask similar shades of that, but not so much specifics, just more along the lines of if IndyCar by chance, isn't something that you are able to continue doing at least full time. Do you still have that passion to drive? And I, it feels like a dumb question to ask, but again, is there a passion to keep going, whether it's IMSA, NASCAR, name, whatever it is, does that cute little driver inside of you who wears those red gloves in tribute of a, a mutual hero, uh, is that guy inside you still uh, burning to compete in something in the future? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, um, you know, I've, I've been so, so lucky up to this point in my career, uh, having, you know, 11 years in, in IndyCar, um, whether or not that's the end of the IndyCar journey, we don't know yet, but, um, you, you know, I, I, I'm one of those people that's just, I'm so thankful for a lot of the things that I've had. I've, I've survived some things that I shouldn't, I'm lucky to even be here. Um, you're talking so, about pork tenderloins you, with Miller, I believe. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. Um, but, uh, but no, so if, you know, if, if, if I never got the chance to race another car again, you know, it'd be, it'd be hard to sit here and, and say, woe is me and, and look for sympathy or, or pity from anyone. Um, but that said, you know, you don't spend this much time in this sport without a an unquenchable love for it and, uh, and desire to compete in it. So, Oh yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I will be, I will definitely be behind the wheel of something next year. Uh, I don't think I'm quite ready to stop that journey yet. Why don't we stay here on a, on a general theme yesterday? We had, I guess, formal confirmation of something we've all known for a little while that one of your dear friends and also uh, a dear friend of mine as well, Mr. Uh, Captain America, Ryan Hunter Ray, uh, formally confirm confirmed is not returning to the number 28 and dirty Autosport Honda. If by chance our man RHR is not back in IndyCar. And of course we hope that he would be, if not part-time, full-time, if none of that, maybe the Indy 500. But if these last two races prove to be Ryan's, say, swan song and IndyCar, 
what comes to mind about him as a member of the IndyCar community, his contributions as uh, someone who's been here for so long, and also as a, uh, a rival on the racetrack going wheel to wheel? What comes to mind with uh, our man Hunter Ray? You know, it's funny. I I I, I think it was a. I wrote a comment on. I want to say it was maybe Andretti's post with the little tribute video that they did, which was very nice. Um, you know, and, and, and it kind of started with a bunch of words that you could use to describe Ryan. And it was, you know, racer and t- champion and teammate friend. But one of them was leader. And I, and I think in a lot of ways, you know, that's the way I look at, at Ryan. You know, I was privileged enough to be his teammate for, you know, five seasons on and off. And, one of those was, you know, my, my second year in the sport when I joined Andretti Autosport and, and driving the GoDaddy car and kind of moved into a big team. And, and he was, you know, undoubtedly the team leader at the time. And uh, I learned a lot from him about, you know, how to lead my car and, and my portion of the team and how to work and, and build, make a team better. Um, and then also just like throughout the driver community, you know, there are, there are some people that I think have a lot of um, a lot of say and a lot of respect from people on certain topics that maybe don't voice their opinion or get involved in certain things enough. I think there are people with less respect and and people who will be willing to listen to their opinions who give their opinion too much. Uh, but Ryan is, is this beautiful balance. You know, he, he is not afraid to stand up for the drivers and for something that's important to us and for us. Um, and he is a, and he is an Indy 500 winner. He of respect. People do listen when Ryan talks and he doesn't, you know, he, he's not, he's not a boy who cry wolf in that sense, you know? So when he talks, people listen because when he doesn't, that matters and uh and it's it's the benefit of of sport and of the drivers and so you know from that side to leading us as a group i think he's been uh been a part of certainly of the sport since since i've been around so uh it's uh it's it's exciting to to see what is next for him you know i know i know (laughs) it's not done for him just knowing him the way i do and and still seeing the speed he's got but um yeah i'm i'm happy for him uh i think change good thing um, sometimes in life and, uh, and this might be just a, a great kind of timing thing for him and the team. And like I said, I'm excited to see what's next. Pro bass fishing, something involving I mean, a boat and, and depleting the ocean of, of its occupants. He's pretty good at it. I mean, he's more of like the, the, he does the, he's nuts. He does the, uh, the free, like the free diving. He'll go spear fishing, but free diving. And I was like, you, so you're going to go down underwater and try to hunt stuff, but you're not going to bring, you're going to bring a spear and you're going to bring goggles. You know, you're going to bring a spear because you can't like kill it with your hands. You're going to bring goggles because you can't see underwater. You're going to bring fins so you can move faster. You're not going to bring any air with you though. Just so we're clear. That's, that's the program of all the things you're going to bring with you to aid you in an environment that you were not built for. Air is the one we're going to leave up on the boat. Okay. Eh. Okay. Eh. The the water's oxygenated, isn't it? Sure. The boy's got gills. Sure is. I mean, he's got skills. I don't know if he's got gills. Hey, and have we gotten his his superhero thing wrong? Captain America? Aquaman. (gasps) Is he really Aquaman? 
Is he Arthur or whatever his last name is? That's what I know. I've never seen the two of them together. See, we're learning stuff on this episode. Uh, Well, here's someone who's hoping to learn something, and uh, I'll admit this has been treated with uh, sensitivity throughout the year as much as possible. Uh, Jordan Darwin says, James, heard rumored you might have been dealing with a nagging leg issue this year. You fill us in on that, or is that something to uh, to best leave uh, to the annals of non discussion? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's yeah, there's there's not not as much to to talk about as you might think. So there's uh, not a ton to add to it. Something that I was dealing with, you know, over the last winter, um, you know, crept into the start of the year, but uh, taking care of itself at the moment. So not much to add there. His attempts to add bionics to his uh, throttle foot didn't go as planned jordan we can we can reveal that right now let's see why don't we go with hello mr mayor says austin sutton from facebook uh curious if you are still in regular contact with roberto wiccanini uh, and if you have any good memories or stories from uh, racing together either in indycar or earlier in life he's a deplorable human being we shouldn't talk about him <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a no, no good Nick. Um, yes, I, I, I communicate with Robbie on probably close to a daily basis. Uh, after, after my wife, he's probably the guy, the person I text the most. Um, we actually, we went and had, had dinner together after the race in Portland and, uh, we're actually flying out to, uh, to Laguna together. So, uh, yes, I, I see him and hear from him often. Uh, our wives are close. Him and I are close. So yeah, he he lives close. So that makes it easy. Um, I mean, and then you know, for the second part of the question. I mean, yeah, God, we could do an entire podcast just talking about stories I've got from from me and Rob between karting together when we were kids, getting to kind of be quasi teammates in A one GP, and then racing against each other in the Atlantic Championship, and then ultimately, you know, us we sat on a beach one day. Uh, in Turks and Caicos over a few rum punches and strategized how we could get him to IndyCar and not, and not being funny, we, we nailed it. Like everything that we planned out kind of in jest, but also like sort of not in jest is like exactly how it all played out. Wow. And, uh, and ended up, you know, getting him in IndyCar, which is where he wanted to be. So, um, you know, that, that year, notwithstanding, you know, that the end results of, uh, of, of the 2018 season for him, you know, that was still a highlight of my career getting to basically race with my best friend at the, the top level of racing in the sport. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited that, uh, you know, we're, we're just as close. And frankly, I very much plan on, on teaming up with him in some other capacity in some way in the future, because it was a lot of fun and I'd love to do it again someday. I got a chance to catch up with Robbie for, I don't know, 20 minutes, maybe even a half hour, I think on, saturday and there was some strategery involved a lot of strategery involved in that conversation too so hopefully it'll go somewhere uh not podcast or whatever related but yeah we want to see him back in a car back in his uh, oh yeah natural natural environment kicking behind for sure um why don't we go with lance snyder who i dubbed uh, a while ago the minister of mirth on my podcasts he sent in a question talking about your podcast says hinge Ah. off track is pretty damn epic no matter what you guys chat about 
Keep in mind, he's never sent in anything like that about my show, but that's fine. Not jealous <laughs> at all, Lance. Uh, he says, you, Rossi, and Thim have insanely different personalities. How in the hell does it work so well? Uh, also, have you thought about being nicer to Thim? Uh, he does produce the show, you know. Um, yeah, I'm going to start with that point. No, uh, have not considered that. Uh, produce the show is a very generous <laughs> term. Um, so yeah, I think, I think he's fine. I think he can take it. He's a, he's a big boy. I mean, he's like a big man child, but he's, he's, he's big. He's physically large. He's a, he's an impressively large human being, very tall, broad shoulders. Um, but no, no, because you know, he produces that from California most of the time. So he can't hit us when we're mean to him. Ooh. So, uh, so that's easy. Um, how does it work? I mean, I didn't know it did work. <laughs> I wasn't sure. <laughs> or maybe that's, maybe that's why it works, you know, cause you've got three very different people and a, a little, a little taste of everything on any given topic that comes up. Uh, I think, I think that's kind of the, that complete accidental and inadvertent formula for whatever modicum of quote unquote success. And I use the term loosely, you could apply to our show. Well, I'm glad that you guys are able to do what you do because uh, it's fun and IndyCar fans certainly seem to be consuming it more and more. So I uh, love the fact that y'all have something fun. And honestly, uh, I'm probably the biggest fan of the fact that Rossi, who has an amazing personality, is a probably the most complex IndyCar driver I can think of in quite some time. Um he is building a following and building a bigger following, not just for his, the, the on-track success, but for what you do with off-track. I just love that as a person, he's, he's flourishing and gaining a following. I, I think without it, genuinely, the IndyCar fans would not know that he's a, a true gem. So there's some good work y'all are doing there. He won fan favorite last year. I mean, the yeah, guy... No, like he's, but... <laughs> That's total. That was a bot farm somewhere in Greece. Um, I think it was like a box you ticked. Like, will you rig the uh, American election? Yes. Can you also stuff the uh, digital voting box for Alexander Rossi? So, you know, we got to be honest there. And yes, and look, even he wouldn't deny that. But I think what's important to remember is that it was somebody else that did it as a joke because the last thing Alex would ever do was draw any more attention to himself by people. <laughs> so you know that he wasn't behind it. But I think it's, I think it's been great. I mean, it's, it's, it, has, it has shown people, as you say, the multiple layers and levels of the oh-so-complicated uh, but oh-so-lovable Alexander Rossi. Uh, because yeah, otherwise you would just see him, you know, with a helmet on or the occasional post-race interview, but there's a lot more to him than that. Oh God, the guy's amazing. If he was a rap, like if he had rap skills, he would be flaming everybody at all times. Like, uh, that's actually, has he ever rapped on the show? Is that something you could make happen? <laughs> I mean, I think we both know the answer to that one, Marshall. You can make that come on, but you can convince him to do anything. There has to be some sort of bet. It might be losing a bet that gets him to oh, do it, but that would be that's an true. epic. Yes. He is, a, he is a degenerate gambler, so I might be able to exploit that. I'm just highlighting and, a need in the world because if there's one thing the world needs more of, it's white rappers. Uh, you're not wrong. Yes, we're going to move wrong. on to actually a, a serious thing for a moment. I'm glad that this was sent in by our pal Vincent1701. Doing a little bit of a, a Wayback Machine. 
It says you and Lena Gade. This is going back to uh, uh, what the team we now call Air McLaren SP. It says you and Lena Gade seem to have good chemistry as a driver and engineer. Can you fill us in on the rest of the story? And for those who don't know, Lena was brought in relatively world famous among race engineers for the amazing victories and success she had with the Audi LMP1 Le Mans team, uh, victorious there in France multiple times, uh, brought in by uh, what we call Aero McLaren SP today, sometimes called spam, but probably shouldn't. Uh, that was 2018, I believe, Hinch. Um, yes. And things didn't last beyond the Indy 500. But to uh, Vincent's point, chemistry-wise, was there something there, and was there more to the story? Because it, it ended abruptly, and I'd say under a little bit of uh, dark clouds or, or question marks. Yeah, it's it's interesting question. Thanks, thanks for bringing it up. Um, it's honestly one of the one of the kind of overarching things that I look back on in my time in the sport that still doesn't entirely sit right and. Um, I, I also, I, well, I'll answer, yeah, I'll answer the first part. Lena and I got along great. Um, I she's a, she's a lovely person. She's obviously a very accomplished engineer, uh, very bright. Um, she was absolutely thrown into the deep end in a very difficult set of circumstances. Um, you know, coming into 2018, she joined the team quite late, um, just as a result of, of the way everything came together. There was some restructuring going on at the team. We needed a race engineer. Um, her credentials obviously spoke for themselves. Uh, but th- I forget exactly why. She wasn't able to join until kind of, I think it was already into the new year. We were dealing with a new car. You know, that was when the 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 um, Universal, Universal Aero Kit, Kit came, came out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, she'd never been to an oval race. You know, there, there was a lot to learn in a very short period of time. And there were some other changes that had happened at the team at that time that we were still kind of navigating uh, and, and trying to and trying to figure out. Um, so honestly, she, I, I she wasn't put into a a fair situation. She wasn't given a fair crack at, uh, at the IndyCar world. And that's, that's always kind of been a a big regret. And, um, you know, I, I wish that, uh, I had maybe been able to be a bit more supportive and and help out more than I did at the time. Um, because again, loved her as a person and, and very, very talented and qualified. It was just a very difficult set of circumstances. So it's, one of those kind of unfortunate life lessons I think everybody involved learned from and, and might do something different if we, uh, if we had another crack at it. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to see that she's landed with a great program and, and is still having, you know, a tremendous amount of success in the sports car world. And quite honestly, I would, I'd love the opportunity to work with her again one day. Would I be speaking out of turn and we don't have to name names, but would I be speaking out of turn if I was to mention that, her tenure with the team was not extremely long, but there was also at least one key player within the team who was, uh, uh, de- I don't know how we put this, departed uh, at the end of the year, asked to leave or otherwise, a uh, senior person as well. Um, I Would it be fair to say that she might not have had all of the uh, correct support needed above her as well to succeed? So I'm not trying to make excuses, just uh, I think for anyone that would 
lay the blame solely at her feet, they might not know the full story. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. No, I, I absolutely would not say that that blame is laid solely at, at, at hers or anybody else's feet. It was a, it was a combination of, of things in, in the given situation. There was pressure from the absolute top and, and the middle and the bottom. And, you know, it was, it was a, it was an interesting time in that team. Like I said, it was a lot of as we were trying to navigate and directives that had been, you know, brought down from various levels. Uh, so yeah, no, there's, there's, there's a lot, of elements that led to it all happening the way it did. And yeah, ultimately I just was never thrilled with exactly how it happened and how it went down. But, um, absolutely no surprise. She landed on her feet and no surprise that she's still killing it. And uh, like I said, I hope, I hope they can drive her car again one day. Amen. Let's go to our pal, Cassie Johnston. She sends in a nice little intro that says, hi, a hinch you've talked about before. Uh, how you have an interest in either starting or leading a driver's union of sorts. She says she'd love to hear you talk more about your vision for that and any sort of changes or advancements you'd advocate for. Uh, she closes by saying huge love from our can American family. So I think we have both hosers and uh, Hoosiers or something here coming together. Love that. Love that. Um, thank you. Is it Cassie? Cassie? Yes, Cassie. 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 Um, for the question and the support and everything. Yes, I have in the past spoken about that, uh, some sort of driver's association, a little more organized and formal than we sort of currently are. Um, and the, I mean, the, the bottom line is if you look at, I don't know, let's say football or baseball, maybe basketball, perhaps you like hockey. Uh, go through the list. There, every professional sport has some kind of association or group uh, that is looking out for the the players or the competitors' uh, well being, um, whether it's you know physical well being or uh, commercial well being. And I, as much as I think IndyCar is the greatest sport on earth, I don't think we're doing something better than the rest of those sports by not having one. Mm. You know. I don't think we're right and they're all wrong. So it's it's just I think it's an inevitable part of evolution of of a professional sport. You know, as as a sport grows, um, get more complicated. It sucks. True of any any business. Uh, and so yeah, from a from a drivers' association point, it's really to there, there's a couple goals certainly in in the short term and. It's Things like being able to offer, you know, group insurance rates to drivers. Um, I can imagine insuring an IndyCar driver is a financially daunting prospect, and there aren't many people willing to do it. And all the ones that are have to understandably charge accordingly. And there's nothing like a league minimum salary in IndyCar. Another thing I'd love to eventually establish. Um, but so for some drivers that are either driving for free or very little money, this, the, the insurance is, is quite simply a, a cost that is unaffordable. Um, it's just, it's, it's impractical and impossible for them to carry it. And We're talking six figures here, right? Not five figures. It, yeah. It depends on your level of coverage, but yes, yeah, certainly can get into the six figure range. So, um, you know, if we had an association and, and the group, you know, we could then 
go to a company and I've already had preliminary discussions with certain companies and say like, hey, look, we've got 20, I mean now 26, maybe full-time people as well as a tier for, let's say, part-timers that are doing three to five races and then a lower tier for one to three races for, say, like May, you know, participants, whatever. Uh, if we all bring our business to this one company, what kind of group discount can we get? Uh, and, and it's, it's been very, very well received by these, by these groups that we've, we've discussed it with. So, um, you know, until we kind of have a more formal setting of some kind that we can actually go to these companies with, everyone's still kind of, you know, out on their own and and winging it. And that's not, uh, that's just not ideal. You know, it's not, it's not safe for us. It's not healthy for us. And, um, I think all the stakeholders involved from, from the IndyCar side and the team side, would be hard pressed to argue that that's a good reason, if nothing else, to get something just a little more formal established and, and then sort of go from there. I love it. Absolutely love it, man. And it's been a a dream of many drivers, some who are no longer with us, sadly for such a thing to happen. So I'm glad that uh, you're keeping the throttle down to try and make that happen. Let's get into uh, the last round of questions here. I'm going to start off with uh, Daniel Ferris, who apparently wants you to be broke and homeless. Says, James, is there a scenario in the future where you would want to own a team or be part of a team uh, and have a role in that team? Or is that only, say, TV or media post-driving career that uh, holds your interests? Um, yeah, I can, I can ooh, fairly confidently say I'm smart enough to never say never, but I can fairly confidently say team ownership is not something that I see in my future. Um, but you know, being involved with a team is certainly something I'd be open to. Uh, you know, this, this sport is my life. It, it always has been. And I don't see myself being one of those of the group of drivers that when they hang up the helmet, they disappear from the racing world and you never see or hear from them again. That's definitely not going to be me. Uh, I love this sport too much to uh, to disappear when my driving days are done, uh, whenever that is. And so, certainly, I've had some incredible opportunities on the TV front, and have have really enjoyed you know the work I've done there. So that's that's an option. Um, you know, working with a team in, in some capacity could definitely be appealing. You know, staying part of that uh, that team atmosphere and camaraderie is, is a very cool part of our sport. And, and that would be fun to explore in the future, but who knows? I'm kind of open to, uh, to anything when, uh, when that time comes. I stopped working for IndyCar teams and at the end of the 2001 season, and here we are 20 years later. And my monkey ass is still involved finding <laughs> things. Uh, I guess media, maybe that's the fringes. But to your point, like if it's the foundation of your life, even when you stop the driving part, look at Rick Mears, man. He retired yeah. at the end of 92, was it? And yeah. the rocket is still here and he couldn't still imagine there. doing anything else. So kind of gets in your blood a little bit. So talking about your, you know, still, still here 20 years after not, or st- stopping working for any car teams, you got to go back to a racetrack for the first time in a while. How was that, bud? I got to exchange an awkward, um, 
uh, handshake with you. You were going by in your, your scooter and I was holding stuff and kind of had, I think like my index finger or middle finger available. So we shook hands with you mm-hmm. shaking my finger, which is a little bit weird, but, uh, yeah. my, my psychiatrist says it's okay. I'm secure in my whatever hood. Um, highlight of your weekend. I know true. But other than that, little I little touched change. you therefore it was an amazing <laughs> weekend. It was so fun. I, I look, one thing I try and do with the dumb little podcast here and do more on social media is just be really open about who I am. And so if I am scared, if I'm nervous, I'm whatever, I'm not worried about folks thinking less of me for sharing those things. So I went there nervous as heck. Haven't done this for a while in person. Uh, A lot of folks that, again, I just haven't seen. Some of my closest friends on earth that I've known forever haven't physically seen them for two years. So it's just a lot of things swirling around on the going to the track side. And then there was the other monster that I had to keep at bay in my, in my mind. And that was, this is the first time in two years I have been away from my wife, like really away from her, not able to drive and go. And all I've done is look after her and protect her and care for her. And so the, what if she falls? And right. right. Like that, that little thing, I was having a fight all weekend long. So none of this is like, Oh, poor me. None of just, those are the things in my head. But honestly, once we got through the nine 11 moment of silence and things started to the, the mood lifted a little bit and the Saturday got underway, it just felt so enriching brother to just be yeah. among my people and hear engines and smell things and see things and all the sensory bits that connect and make sense. Getting mm-hmm. back to that was just. <sighs> it's, it's, it's nice knowing you still like it, isn't it? When you, when you're away for that long and you still do what you do remotely, but then you get to go back and you're like, no, 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 this, this is why I did it in the first place. hundred percent. So again, it, it's the checklist is like, my God, I have to see everybody, you and everybody else. Like, so, so much fun. And I felt bad and apologized to some folks that I had to like say hi from afar and I'll try and catch up with you this weekend. So it's just fun. And it was cool being welcomed back. You know, there was nobody with pitchforks and like flaming torches chasing me away. So that was the other possibility. So, uh, I don't know. I'll try it again this weekend, but uh, thanks for asking, brother, and thanks for... Uh, no, it was, nice. it was nice to see you back where you belong, bud. Well, let's go to uh, Andy Bauer. This is, and I guess since we're a little bit uh, you know, towards the end of the show, I uh, figure folks have gotten tired of listening to me, so maybe they've tuned out. He says, uh, James, can you share a good Robin Miller story, preferably one that shouldn't be shared in print? <laughs> oh, man. You know what? It's, uh, I, I feel like it, it may have been already talked about. I'm sure it has with whether it was Dario or TK or, or one of those guys. But, you know, Miller used to host these, um, these Mexican food dinners in Indianapolis. And it was kind of like a, it wasn't like a standing thing, but it was, he tried it, he tried to do it kind of once a month ish. And, and whoever was in town and available would come out. And there were probably, you know, 20 ish people on the mailing list. And if half of them showed up on any given, you know, event, uh, you know, that was a decent turnout. And I always just loved going to those dinners because you had such a, you had such a mix of people, you know, it was, it was, it was drivers, it was team PRs, it was old mechanics, it was, you know, people that had worked for different sponsors or companies or IndyCar itself. You had 
literally the entire industry of motorsport kind of covered. The, the, all the bases were covered in that sense. And then at the head of the table, you just had Robin. And he was just holding court and running the show. And the stories that you get out of him and guys like Timmy Coffee and doing all their Uncle Bobby impressions and just – he. It, it was it was so much fun for us, but it was also you could see it was so much fun for him, um, being able to kind of just be there with friends and tell stories of the good old days. And man, he was just, he was it was such it was such a fun thing to experience, kind of him and his element like that. And I mean, there are yeah, there are stories from there, and you know, some of them were secondhand, some of them were his, but um, things that they're not, they're not good for print or podcast or television <laughs> or anything other than probably sitting at, you know, the Mexican restaurant over a margarita and, uh, and some, some guac. Yeah. We've got, uh, his memorial coming up here, uh, not long after uh, long beach. And I hope, and granted, you and I are, you know, both familiar with recording things and telling stories and, you know, trying to preserve and curate. I hope that someone secretly records whatever conversations take place at the memorial, but I also hope those never see the light of day because yeah. I know I've got a couple to share that are not safe for work or just human ears. Um, and I know everyone else does. So I hope, Again, among friends, we can at least uh, uncork some of those. And if the rest of the world never gets to hear them, it's okay. I, I, I'm feeling like the world in 71 years got a hell of a lot of Robin Miller. So maybe it's okay if uh, some of uh, some of those things stay within the uh, the inner family, <laughs> the inner circle Amen. here. Uh, let's Amen. see. Let's get to a couple more here. Sam Johnson wondering how did your experience as a color commentator for srx this summer go and were there any challenges or differences covering stock cars say versus open wheel gotta add and i'm the millionth person to say it oh my goodness when you came on to handle that role from say a former driver and teammate of yours in indycar it was like the clouds parted and sunlight descended <laughs> upon everyone's little beautiful selves it was fantastic but tell us about that how different how cool how fun yeah thank you it was it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun and that it largely because it was the whole point of srx you know whether it was for the drivers for the people doing the broadcast the people at home watching the broadcast the only thing that mattered was to have fun and the, the races were structured in a way that were fun for the drivers and fun for the people watching, whether it was there or at home. And we made up rules as we went to make the show better. I mean, the, what, what was so brilliant about that concept is Ray and Tony really understood what they had was an entertainment property, not a sporting property. And so the rule book didn't matter. And, you know, Ray could make stuff up as he went and, and Tony could influence things as, as they went. And it was always for the fans benefit really. And when you are able to do that, uh, and you have, you have time. The other thing that was great was, you know, because we did like the heat race format, you had this, these time blocks in between heat one and two and heat two in the final that, that you knew were coming. And so we would have, you know, pre-recorded segments 
really doing little little profiles on the drivers and the amount of feedback we got about how much people loved watching these little snippets about who the people were driving the cars rather than just a name and a number uh, was was phenomenal and and the format allowed us to really do that and tell those stories and, and show the people who we were you know showing on TV in these race cars. So it was it was a lot of fun. The whole the whole group there, uh, you know, Alan Bestwick and, and and everybody up in the booth, with me and, and everybody else that was involved, uh, made it so easy for me to just jump in and and have fun with them. Um, and and it is definitely harder when you're not necessarily a seasoned stock car guy. But one of the really cool things was Ray Evernham threw me in a car for ten laps uh, on the practice day at each race that I did. So. I had an understanding of the car. I had an understanding of the track. I could talk a little bit more knowledgeably than uh, than uh, I would have otherwise, and so that was that was a huge help too. And like I said, er- everything that they did was just was done to make the show better and, and make it fun for the people at home. So uh, I always love hearing that people enjoyed watching it. Uh, it was good stuff. I, ho- I hope you get to do more of that in the future. Uh, Zach Dean says, James, where did your mask with your face on the mask go that that is if indycar has a smithsonian that being the uh, ims museum it feels like that needs to be donated there if it hasn't already well we i mean i've got one left you know we genesis made a bunch of them up last year for the 500 and i have kept one in the wrapper in pristine condition maybe maybe i break it out at laguna this weekend and bring it to the forefront because because then i could retire it to the smithsonian of indycar racing along with my danica wig from 2012 st pete how do we get you with the mask and the danica wig this weekend that seems to that that's the photo we all need and it's in california (laughs) where we're crazy so that would fit it's not the photo we want it's Uh, the photo we need How do you also, when Rossi isn't looking, have one of his crew members like duct tape the your Danica wig to the top of his helmet before he pulls out for a run? Um, these are just things that I think about. We need to make that happen. Um, that would be good. Let's see. Uh, Zach Dean is also back. Uh, says, James, would you go to Mars if a spot opened up? And asks a very, very pressing question here. Uh, he says, James, also a lot of drivers, IndyCar drivers seem to believe in aliens. I have to ask. Uh, aliens? Yes or no, and and why? Um, okay, again, I'll start. I'll start from the back. Work my way forward. Uh, aliens, yes. Why? Sheer sheer volume. There's there's sheer volume. I mean, I'm not saying that they've necessarily been here, but does something other than us exist somewhere in the gross expanse that is the universe and space? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and just purely based on statistics. Um, have you seen a then, UFO? Cause Hunter Ray claims to have seen a UFO. Has he told you this? Uh, yeah, we've talked, we've talked. I saw something when I was a kid that I couldn't explain. And as an adult, I've still yet been able to totally explain or even partially explain if I'm totally honest. So I don't know if you would call it a UFO. Becky saw something once my wife, she saw something that very much sounds like a UFO. Um, as did a good friend of ours here in Indy. And it actually, it really, really matches up with stories from like completely random people that you see on these TV shows and stuff. So either like there's some weird plane that flies around at night that just happens to be like stalking the Midwest or there's something to it. I don't know. Was it possibly Hoser, the dog from 
Bob and Doug McKenzie's one and only movie, Strange Brew, who, as we learned at the end of that movie, could fly? Could could, not, could it have been Hoser? Not impossible. Not impossible. Okay. Um, and here's the thing. If you had asked me that Mars question like a month ago, it would have been the quickest yes ever. Now, subsequently, you know, in the last little while, a bunch of billionaires who have gone to space – and made it look like, you know, one day us common folk might be able to, to do that for 15 minutes or whatever. And so I was having this conversation with Becky and she was pretty adamant that I've put her through enough that taking up space travel might be a very cruel thing to do to her. <laughs> and so like I am a huge space nerd. Like I went to space camp as a kid. I mean, I would give anything to go like spend a week on the space station or go to the moon or go to Mars or whatever. But I also really love my wife and I don't want her to like have a nervous breakdown because of some extracurricular activity of mine. And we're like, I can justify this one because A, I was doing it before I met her and B, it's my profession. That one's just recreational, and so now that we're married, she has a little bit of a say, and so I might have to I might have to sit that one out now for for my wife's sake. If she ever changed her mind, though, I would be up there in a second. If if no no Mars, there's always free diving to take up. So uh, you see, we, more we, dangerous, yes. more dangerous in my more people died free diving than have died to go to space. Boom. All right. Well. Yet another bad idea here. Two to go. One's a statement. One's a question. Our pal Justin Holmes, who I got to see and meet briefly last weekend in Portland, a member of our Day listener group, those crazies. This is not a question. Wanted to thank Hinch for taking the time for a picture this past weekend. Always classy yeah. with the fans, uh, and it certainly makes your day. He says, thank you for everything you've done for IndyCar, and hopefully we get to see you back on the grid next year. Justin Holmes, a fine man you are. Well, thank you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. So let's uh, let's say farewell to this episode as our cat Rocky jumps up and shows me uh, his his back end. Uh, thanks, Rocky. You're uh, the alpha male of the house. Um, <laughs> Mitsuki Matsura says uh, hello, MP and the mayor. Says I'm so sorry to hear the news of Steve Brody's passing. Says mm-hmm. I watched the story of you and him on YouTube. Have uh, you decided when you're going to drive and uh, maybe bring those gloves with you and say farewell to him? Uh, and yeah, for those who aren't aware, Steve Brody, someone that you know, someone that I, I knew as well, a uh, big, big member of uh, the Road to Indy back in the day, the 80s and 90s, and then into uh, IndyCar, both CART and IRL. Just great guy, huge personality, great character, and uh, someone that uh, intersected with your world in a pretty important way as well. So uh, any thoughts on uh, how uh, you might pay tribute to our man Brody here uh in the final weeks of the season. For sure. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I mean, Brody and I met through one of my, he was one of my mechanics at the time at Andretti in 2012. And he's actually on my car this year again, Neil Campbell. And he worked with, uh, with Brody back at players in the day with, uh, with Greg. And, um, it was, it was Neil that introduced me to him to, uh, get this pair of gloves that Greg had given Brody and, and, uh, take him for a trip around the speedway, which, um, you know, landed us on the front row. Cause I, I took him out in qualifying, just knowing that qualifying is the coolest thing you get to do at Indy and, and Greg never got to do it. So I tucked his gloves into my suit and, and we actually went P one on that day on Saturday qualifying and ended up, 
P2 uh, for the race. So we thought it'd be kind of a nice thing to uh, to do that again. And uh, we're going to bring the gloves out to Long Beach, and I'm going to tuck them in my suit. Don't know what session yet for, but uh, we're going to give give Greg and Brody a ride around the streets one last time. That's a beautiful thing. And just as uh, Justin, thank you for uh, all the, the fineness that you have brought to IndyCar. I don't want you to go, man. I want nothing but uh, continued full seasons for you and Hunter Ray and Sato and a bunch of good folks who've helped make IndyCar what it is in this modern era. Uh, Can't predict the future, but I can say for sure, uh, following Justin's comments, that we have been fortunate to have you. The things that you do for people charitably, uh, looking after fans, always being there to engage and make new fans or bigger fans of the sport. You're one of those, uh, like Robin Miller, like Bob Jenkins, like so many others. There's a lot of folks like you who've been the engine driving this forward in whatever year, whatever era. So uh, I can only say I hope that we, uh, we have you in whatever capacity next year and beyond. And as always, thanks for taking some time to play in my dumb little podcast. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks so much for having me on and for the kind words. Really appreciate it. And looking forward to seeing you again very soon. 